Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 29th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The British Prime Minister, Theresa May, will resign if MPs vote in favour of her withdrawal deal. The deal is to go to a vote for a third time today. And for a third time, it seems inevitable that MPs will reject the deal. This will leave the UK with two weeks to decide how it will leave the EU or if it will stay or what it might do instead. As you know, the UK was to leave today, the 29th of March, was to be B-Day. What B stands for now is anyone's guess, but it certainly does not stand for Brexit this Friday morning. Let's talk about this with AIN2 leader, Mead West TD, Patrick Tobin, who's on the line. A very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. I suppose there's a lot of words beginning with B that could describe the debacle we're in this morning. Bizarre is probably one of them, um, I think. Um, It's a thousand days now since the actual referendum for Brexit uh, and today was meant to be the exit day and still this real confusion with regards to British uh, and what's actually going to happen here. Uh, and as you mentioned, obviously this is the third time they're going to vote uh, on the deal. Um, it's likely to be a lot closer. There seems to be a lot of the, um, the, the Tory Brexiteers are actually going to side with May. Some of the Labour um, uh, TDs, or MPs I should say, who are Brexiteers are looking to side with May as, as well, but the DUP are not. I think some of the Eurosceptics have realised that they're overplaying their hand and they realise that now the choice that's facing them is either no Brexit at all um, or Theresa May's deal. Mm. Um, but the DUP are just so set in stone with regards to the backstop that they are not going to shift uh, whatsoever on this. The danger for Ireland in, in all of this is all of that's out of our control. But we have some elements within our control, and that's whether or not we actually get prepared uh, for uh, a Brexit or not. Now, the government have uh, you know, been involved in mitigation plans with regards to Brexit, but AIM2 would, would be of the view that it's not near enough whatsoever. So in other words, they have made loans available, they have some vouchers available, some, some funding available, they have online courses available for people. But the ESRI this week indicated the magnitude of this uh, potential uh, uh, Brexit. A hundred billion euros to be taken out of the Irish economy within 10 years and 80,000 jobs to be taken out in that same period of time. Now, faced with that magnitude, it's logic that the government actually get real with regards 
uh, investment and preparation uh, for Ireland. That's uh, 80,000 fewer jobs created rather than jobs being lost. Well, it's, it's, it's 80,000 80, jobs that wouldn't exist uh, mm, in, yeah. in, in that 10-year period. That would have period. existed otherwise. Would have existed it's otherwise. not that 80,000 people working now would be out of a job. So, no, an, an actual fact, interesting enough, the ESRI indicate that there would be, even with, with that uh, loss mm. in GDP and loss in jobs, that we will still have growth in jobs and GDP in that period of time. Uh, now, uh, some eyebrows are raised with regards to that focus because over the 10-year the period, it's unlikely that you're going to have a linear growth uh, pattern. There, there, it's likely that there'll be some dip, some cyclical fall in, in growth over that period. So Ireland is actually not in good shape to deal with these types of shocks. We owe about 200 billion euros as a nation and we're one of the most highly indebted nations in the world so the last crash was 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 really difficult was was disastrous for so many people but we had the ability at least to to borrow to 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 deal with it Uh, it'll be far harder to borrow uh, over the next 10 years if we have a similar crash and it's possible that we're going to have a a crash in two weeks on uh, the 12th of april that's a a possibility but it is a a remote possibility and the likelihood is at this stage uh, that the united kingdom is going to get a very long extension if they don't stay indefinitely or forevermore in the european union but how it ends up i suppose nobody knows with any degree of certainty at this stage Uh, what is happening today is that this deal will be voted on for the third time. The vote is being allowed because it's been separated from what's called the political declaration. Now, the expectation is that the vote will uh, reject Mrs May's proposal on the withdrawal agreement. It won't pass. Uh, But even if it was to pass, that wouldn't be enough. They have to vote in favour of the political declaration as well. No, so, so you're right. If, if the vote actually passes, they still have to have a meaningful vote on both parts of the deal for it actually to function. And this you know, adds another uh, crazy piece of confusion into the process. That's, you know, this existential vote that the British have to vote on with regards to uh, Brexit is not being allowed by the process um, of uh, the, the House of Commons. It's just absolutely bizarre how the whole issue is working. And so as you're as, right, if so as Labour put it, uh, and they are right, it would seem, in how they put it, they don't know what they're voting for today. They don't know what the political declaration is going to be uh, on the future. And um, so that's the difficulty here. My belief is that there's, there's no way that the British are actually going to allow for a, a crash. Uh, 400 mm. MPs voted in the last week to make sure that there would be no... Uh, crash out of the uh, EU. I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe in the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, both sides will pull together to make sure that doesn't happen. And um, what what they're really facing at the moment is, if they vote no today, they have to either uh, they have to come up with some kind of deal uh, in May, uh, April twelfth, mm-hmm. or they have to look for a longer extension. Now, if they go for a longer extension on that, it's very likely that Brexit won't happen at all. And Many of the Brexiteers will be conscious of this, uh, and it will be it will be an amazing situation that if the majority of people in Britain voted to exit, uh, and then there's no exit at all, and that will obviously create major anger. And I think that in the Tories are in a way maybe engineering now to actually create a blame game uh, to be able to put on Labour to say, listen, we did our damnedest to achieve Brexit. Labour scuppered us at every turn. And now they could call an election in, uh, straight after this um, uh, April 12th 
which will obviously put major pressure on the Labour Party. It's very possible we'll start to understand what uh, the 11th hour actually means because it could be at 11 o'clock on the 11th of April just before the 12th of April, which is the cliff edge that the United Kingdom apply for a longer extension, decide to revoke Article 50, call the whole thing off, uh, ask for time to allow for a second referendum or move for a general election, as the case may be. Uh, But what happens in between now and then? We know this vote will take place today. The assumption, at least, uh, is that that will fail. Uh, And then they'll be back to it next week. Uh, They had these indicative votes during the week uh, and eight options were rejected. They're back to pretty much that again, although they'll try to whittle the eight down to fewer options. They will be back to that again, but whatever option they they decide on, it has to be agreed uh, by the EU27 and if the EU27 don't agree to it, well then they're not going to achieve their objective uh, in the end of the day. So I believe, I don't believe, I don't see the EU changing tack at this stage. Um, One of the issues that, that, that is really wrecking our heads uh, in AIM2 at the moment is that the governments here are not focusing on what they can achieve. Um, so we know, for example, that there's going to be major difficulties with regards to trade uh, north-south in Ireland. And we know that Leo Varadkar pulled €27 million Euros out of the Derry to Dublin Road uh, recently, at a time, obviously, when he should have been actually increasing the investment into that uh, particular road. We know that, you know, Drogheda Port, um, Rosslare Port, Cork Port, these ports need more investment and they'll be more important for Ireland's ability to export uh, onto the, the European mainland uh, in, in the case of Brexit. They'll be more important in the case that we don't have that uh, British land bridge uh, to be able to get our products uh, in to the European mainland. And it's, it's really important that the government start to radically invest in, in that space, that they actually make sure that they push the French to increase the capacity at mm. Cherbourg and other French ports to make sure that we don't have massive tailbacks uh, with regards to our supply chains of getting products uh, into uh, the European Union and that you know, our fresh produce doesn't rot while it's actually uh, waiting to get in, 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 into Europe. So the, the, there's so much the government can do. With, mm. with regards to the north of Ireland, it still amazes me that nobody seems interested in actually making sure that Stormont is getting back up and running. We have food poverty, health poverty, housing poverty in the north of Ireland at the moment. The well, economy is in stagnation. Karen anymore. Bradley was talking about it in the House of Commons the other day and uh, she reiterated, uh, I think, what Michael Gove had said previously about consulting with uh, the Irish government on direct rule after Brexit. Well, first of all, direct rule would not be tolerable whatsoever. And, and, and a key problem in Stormont at the moment is that the DUP are, are actually in government in the north of Ireland. They're the only political party in government in the north of Ireland through their confidence and supply with the Tories. So there's no incentive at the moment for the DUP to actually go into government in the north of Ireland. Now, Aintu's view is that what should happen is that the government should fill the ministerial seats in the north uh, with joint authority. So a decision should be made between London and Dublin that those seats are filled, that the decisions are made with regards to those bread and butter uh, economic issues straight away. And that would act as a major incentive for the DUP to actually live up to the responsibilities in the executive in, in the North. If that doesn't happen and we go into a, a situation of, of direct rule, what you're going to have then is um, those departments not properly functioning. And I'll give you one example. In the North of Ireland, 
If Brexit goes through, the farmers are going to lose about 250 million euros of cap funding. Because Stormont is not functioning at the moment, there's no plans uh, being developed to actually replace that cap funding. And that will have a material uh, negative effect on farmers throughout the north of Ireland. So it is, it is really important that the, the government uh, in Dublin and in London and the political parties uh, in the north actually step up to the plate and make sure that that actually happens. And the last point I'd like to make in this, if I can at all, the British are, are absolutely at fault with regards to the craziness that's going on in London at the moment. But I will say that I'm amazed that there's been no introspection at all from the European Union side. There's been no self-assessment from the European side. There is a growing desire in, in all of the countries, in many of the countries in Europe at the moment, to actually leave the EU. There's a growing Euroscepticism at the moment in the likes of Italy, in Greece, mm. in Hungary, in France, in the Netherlands. It's time actually the European Union starts to ask itself, why is it that question? I think the biggest threat actually at the moment to the EU is the EU, that the EU are always seeking further integration. Well, that's that's what they are. And I was just going to say, maybe you should read uh, Emmanuel Macron's uh, letter to uh, the 28 uh, countries uh, uh, through uh, various newspapers uh, a couple of weeks ago, where he was talking about collective sovereignty Mm. uh, and uh, the need to to unify uh, in so many different ways. Uh, But if we could hold off on that thought for a moment and just focus on the immediate challenge of Brexit. I started off this morning by saying that if MPs vote in favour of Mrs May's deal, the Prime Minister will resign. Uh, do you believe that Mrs May will be the Prime Minister on the 11th of April? And if so, what does that mean? Well, it's, it, it's very hard uh, to see her position as being tenable uh, if the vote is lost today. Uh, in any normal functioning democracy, if the leader of a government loses a vote once or twice, such an important vote... Um, which she has. Which she has. So which, three strikes and you're out? Well, absolutely. And there's no logic for her to, be re- to remain there. If the vote is lost today, there is still no actual solution developed which is agreeable to the EU, which achieves the Brexit situation. So in, in, in my view, if the vote is lost today, you're looking at a long-term, uh, a long-term uh, situation with regards to um, Brexit that will be at least another extension of a year or two. Uh, in that scenario, it's likely that there will be a leadership challenge mm. within uh, the Tory party. If there is a leadership challenge in the Tory party, they're elected from their members. The members of the Tory, are prob- our Tory party are more Eurosceptic than their parliamentary party. So the person likely to replace Theresa May is likely to be a Tory, uh, a Tory skeptic, which will look for a, 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 a harder Brexit in the long run. And we could actually be seeing the return of Boris Johnson in the future. Mm. Okay, let's go back to your point then uh, about uh, Europe uh, assessing uh, how it operates as a union and uh, the point uh, that Emmanuel Macron was making or the points he was making. Uh, Aim2 is a a new party. Are you a pro-European party? Are you a pro-European party in the sense 
of having collective sovereignty, in the sense of having European budgets, in the sense of having a European finance minister, in the sense of having a European army, and so on and so forth. No, we would oppose radically uh, a European army, European budgets, European ministers uh, in that regard. We oppose further integration. We believe in self-determination. We believe that decisions made closer to the Irish people are better decisions because we can influence those decisions and we can hold people to account. But that's the European vision uh, as articulated by Mr Macron. Exactly. So uh, if that was the future, would we be better in or out? The the point of the matter is, I believe that Macron is, and, and that vision is one of the biggest threats to actually the EU existing in the future. So we'd be better out, would we? No, I'm not looking for an IRA exit whatsoever. Anybody who's watching what's happening in Britain at the moment and calling for an IRA exit would be very, very, very foolish. And but secondly, would, if anybody calls you, for an IRA exit... Would you look for an IRA exit if uh, it meant subs, uh, subscripting uh, or conscripting uh, Irish boys uh, to uh, participate in European military offensives? We would be radically opposed uh, to that scenario. And if that scenario uh, was to be uh, imposed on Ireland, we would have to look, uh, we would have to look at uh, our future membership uh, of that... Um, uh, organization of the European Union. Same in that for scenario, in, in my view, there's, there's, there's two or three options here. Really what should happen is European should be a partnership of democratic countries, sovereign na- nation states, cooperating with each other on the issues of trade, on the issues of, of climate change, and the issues of immigration, these types of issues that can't be dealt with uh, by individual nation states. But we should be actually returning power from Brussels back to the, to the uh, nation states, to the national parliaments. And if the, if the European Union were, Union were to go on that route, we wouldn't be in this Brexit situation whatsoever. And in actual fact, you know, if you go back to David Cameron, David Cameron was, was extremely foolish, if not crazy, to call that referendum in that scenario without any plan with regards Brexit. But the European Union were equally stubborn not to be able to find some solution for Britain to be able to uh, remain within uh, the European Union. And actually, you know, it, it is, it's, it's important that now uh, gov- governments, such as our own government, start to send really strong messages to Macron and to Merkel and those who are behind this federalist European project that this is not No, they are. Terrible. They are. They're saying thank you for your support. <laughs> we <laughs> leave it there. Sending the wrong type of message. <laughs> All in, right. In I have to leave it there. I'm over time. Thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's AIN2 leader Peter Tobin, who's a TD for Meath West. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk to Father Peter McVerry, a Jesuit priest who works with the homeless. And God knows uh, there's a lot of people who are homeless in this country. 10,264, the official figure. 6,480 of them are adults and 3,784 are children, as you well know, Peter. And I, I was going to say, uh, let's talk about the homelessness crisis. But of course, that would be completely inaccurate uh, because there is not a homelessness crisis in this country. What there is, it would seem to me at least, is a shameful situation where homelessness is now normal. It is normal to say that there are thousands upon thousands of people who have no place to call home. It is normal to say that there are nearly 4,000 children in this country who have no place to call home. And it is normal to say we cannot get on top of it. Would that be the way it seems to you? Absolutely. The problem has become normalised. And in my view now, it seems to be out of control 
uh, every single month for the last two and a half years since the government introduced its strategy to reduce homelessness, every single month the number of people registered as homeless has gone up and up and up. And that strategy and was introduced category, in 2016, wasn't it? That was in 2016. And the frightening thing is that Dublin City Council, where the problem is most acute, uh, has just recently uh, received a report which predicts that homelessness is going to continue to rise for at least the next three years. Mm. And that means that for the whole of the government's five-year strategy, Rebuilding Ireland, homelessness is going to continue to go up and up and up. I think any 12-year-old child would conclude that the strategy isn't working. Yeah, after six years, it's going to be worse. So if it is a crisis, it's not being treated as a crisis because when something is recognised as a crisis and you say you're throwing everything you have at it to solve the crisis, well, then you expect improvement. And since that strategy was introduced three years ago, there are now 4,000 more people who are homeless than there were then. There are, and what is even more frightening is that the biggest category now of homeless people is the not-to-four age group. And that's shocking. You know, in 2012, we never had a homeless family. Homeless families didn't exist. In Uh, in 2012? 2012. One or two families a week became homeless, but they were easily rehoused. This homeless family crisis has only developed in the last six, uh, five or six years. And now it has become the most pressing problem. At least with homeless adults, you can get them off the street by giving them a bed in a hostel. But you can't do that for a homeless family. This has become the, uh, the, uh, the, the, most, the most urgent aspect of the, the homeless crisis. And they just keep uh, going up and up and up. Focus Ireland, who primarily uh, deal with homeless families, they would say that they can house one family, homeless family, every day, but that there are three families presenting as newly homeless every day. Mm. So the problem just keeps getting worse. So that means they'd house 365 uh, families a a year, but nearly... They have a very good range of apartments Mm. and houses available, and they... Uh, they, they're very committed to, uh, to, to, to family accommodation. But they can't help over 700 families because it's impossible. No, they, and unless, that's, that's unless we stop that flow of, of families and individuals into homelessness, then trying to house homeless people is like trying to empty the bath water with the taps full on. It's just not... Uh, it's just not going to happen. We really need to, uh, to to stop that flow. And where is the flow coming from? It's coming primarily from the private rented sector. Landlords who sell this, who say they're going to sell the house mm. and you have to move out. We've got to stop that flow. The only way I can see of stopping that flow is to make it illegal for three years, just for three years, to evict people into homelessness, except in special circumstances, like if somebody's drug dealing or something from the from the uh, premises but in the normal case should be illegal just for three mm. years now that will inconvenience some landlords but it's not going to bankrupt any landlords it will inconvenience some landlords but the alternative is thousands of families over the next uh, three years experiencing the trauma of homelessness with all the damage that that's doing both to the family unit and also more particularly to the children 
Fine Gael has been in government since 2011. Do you think that at some time before then they sat down and hatched a plan to make people homeless? Or what is it they mean when they say the plan is working? They say that the problem is we we need more supply of housing. And, of course, that is absolutely correct. Mm. Uh, Now, the supply of housing is increasing, but at the rate it's increasing, the supply is not going to match demand for at least the next 10 to 15, 20 years. (laughs) We can't wait that long. We built last year, this country built last year, about 18,000 houses. But all the experts agree that in order just to meet the growing uh, demography, Mm. the growing number of people in this country, we need to build 30 to 35,000 houses every year. But what do you think the Taoiseach means when he says the plan is working? What do you think Owen Murphy, the minister, means when he says the plan is working? What do you think think Damien English, the junior minister, means when he says the plan is working? uh, I think what he means is we are building more and more houses every year. And I fully agree that that is happening, and I think that's a good idea. But building more and more houses at the rate at which we're building more and more houses is simply not going to solve the problem. We need to do far better in building houses, and particularly in building social houses. I was down in a in in in, in the in the south of Ireland. Mm. I won't name the local authority, <laughs> uh, but I was talking there during the week. And that particular local authority had 2,800 households on a social housing waiting list. Mm. And in 2017, they built 10 council houses. Mm. How much did they cost? Uh, Because this is another issue that uh, we've been talking about for some time. and It was highlighted uh, this week uh, because of six houses that were built in Tipperary, a story people have been hearing about for a long time for other reasons. Uh, But... The spend on these houses is very questionable. 370000 each for three-bed semis, and you can buy houses that are of an equivalent standard locally for half that price. Well, I can't go into the economics of, of building and, and buying houses. I wouldn't be uh, competent. Uh, but it's mad, isn't But it? I know that in, in, in Ballymun here in Dublin, where, mm. where uh, house prices are at their highest, uh, mm. Uh, Okula on a housing cooperative were able to build three and four bedroom houses for under 200,000 each. Mm. But they were talking now about that, building apartments in Dublin for 600,000 or, or something. I mean, this sort of stuff is just mad. Why would you build a house for 370,000 when you could buy a house uh, of equal standard for 180,000 uh, uh, a couple of streets up the road? Well, I can't answer that question, mm. but I do think we urgently need council housing. We, we, you know, back in 1975, we built in this country 8,500 council houses. In 1985, we built 6,900 council houses. In 2015, this country built 75 council houses. Mm. And that's the core of the problem. There is no council housing to move into. So when people become homeless, when people lose their accommodation, for whatever reason, through a eviction uh, or whatever through not being able to pay the rent there is no council housing to move into we've got to go back to building council housing on a much much uh, bigger scale than we're, we're currently doing. Okay we'll leave it there for the moment thank you very much as always Father Peter McVerry. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. There are some 40 recommendations uh, setting out uh, the climate policy we should pursue over the next 15 years in a report from uh, the Climate Action Committee, which has uh, just been published. Fianna Falls spokesperson on the environment, Timmy Dooley, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. We're talking about radical change in how we live our lives and how we spend or what we spend our money on in this report, I think. Yeah, thanks. Good, mor- good morning, Michael. I, look, I, I think for a long time now, uh, successive governments uh, have failed to grapple with the challenges associated with climate change. Uh, and I think, you know, the public over the last number of years have started to recognise uh, that there is a very significant problem ahead for us, and almost not just ahead, but, but right now, because we have seen the very significant changes in weather patterns in recent years, we have seen flooding, we have seen drought, uh, and we have seen kind of, I suppose, conditions that we we haven't seen in Ireland before. And that's just very minor by comparisons to what's happening in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the levels uh, of, of starvation that are there as a result of the actions of developed uh, communities and developed economies in, in continuing to emit in vast amounts uh, these greenhouse gas uh, emissions, which are effectively allowing our Earth to warm up uh, to really dangerous levels, levels which will change the landscape uh, of vast tracts of, of, of the Earth, will impact uh, on the ice caps, mm. uh, will see rising sea levels. And, you know, I suppose what, what a lot of people haven't realised up to now, that a very, very small level of increase uh, in our global temperatures um, can have such devastating impacts in terms of rising sea levels and melting of ice, um, and that that then changes the entire weather pattern of the globe, which has the kind of devastating climatic uh, events which we're all too familiar with and which we regularly see uh, on our screens. And for quite some time, they were in far some places, but we're seeing it now coming closer to home. So to try and retain uh, the increase in, in, in global temperatures below that one and a half degree increase, we really have to take very significant action uh, here in in, in Europe. And each country has been given and signed up Mm. to various targets. In every aspect of life in this country today, though, uh, and across every government department, uh, and you're suggesting the establishment of a Climate Action Council uh, to oversee this and uh, to uh, recommend how we move forward on all of this and to bring about change through a carrot and stick approach, uh, the carrot being education and encouraging people, uh, the stick uh, being penalising people. Who do you think are are the worst uh, offenders in this country? Would it be industry? Would it be the poor? Or would it be agriculture? Well, it's a mixture of everything. Um, Our economy has developed as it has developed. And we employ people across the various sectors and people live their lives in the way that they do. And what we have to try and do now is change our behaviour in certain ways around the usage, particularly of fossil fuels. These are the fuels that when when they're burned, emit carbon. Industry uses them, the generation Mm. of electricity burns a significant amount of oil and peat and gas and we have to move away from that. Um, Many households um, many households you know, derive their home heating uh, from oil and gas. Now, gas is a hell of a lot less in in terms of emissions than oil uh, and coal. Mm. 
So we have to encourage people to move away from that. And it's not about blame. But you're talking about increasing the carbon tax by 80 euro. What would that mean uh, on a bag of coal? Well, if you do it on a yearly basis and you head towards 80 euros a tonne, a bag of coal at 17 euros would rise by 63 cents a year. A bale of briquettes would rise by maybe 13 cents. So you're talking about about 7 euro, is it, on a bag of coal? In 10 years' time. Mm. But the point here is, Michael, it's not about... But the equivalent of 7 euro today in 10 years' time. But, Michael... It's not about people being paying seven euros in ten years' time. On a litre, pe- on a litre, well, litre it is for it is for people listening to us. I think. Yeah. But, but if I if I can mm. explain, on a litre petrol, it's one point five cents now, uh, on 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 a, on a yearly basis. Mm. And those of us that 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 still drive diesel, uh, notice will have noticed that the the fluctuation in diesel prices in the last six months alone has been has increased by about 30 cent mm. um, because the expertise on this was completely wrong or at least the experts are telling us that the advice they gave us not too long ago to buy diesel cars to save the environment was completely wrong it, there, are, there are two aspects to diesel in in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions it's it's lower in mm. terms of the carbon emissions but it has this uh, NOx emissions, which obviously has an, an impact on the quality of air, which is really uh, unhelpful and, and, and is a health risk in, in, in densely populated areas. But the point here, Michael, is the idea of flagging at an early stage to people to say, mm-hmm. in 10 years' time, coal will have gone up significantly, oil will have gone up significantly, um, and, 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 and diesel will have gone up significantly. It's saying to them, you'll be making decisions now and over the next number of years well, you that, you should, that you should transition, not yet, but you should transition <laughs> away, from, okay, away it... from using diesel and away from using coal in your uh, home and away from using okay. oil. Uh, and on the other hand... And Fianna Fáil was reluctant. Uh, you were refusing, as I understand it, to sign off on this report because you were concerned about how people may be uh, able to afford this in 10 yeah, years I mean, from now, the as the case issue. may be. But this hasn't been decided, has it? Well, the big issue for us was, you know, some people on the committee wanted to stitch in an increase in carbon tax into legislation, which would begin immediately. And I, on behalf of Fianna Fáil, was adamant that whilst there was a necessity to see carbon price increase to assist people in making that change, we had to be very conscious of people who won't have the, the ability to change over uh, to the more efficient fuels. They won't have the, the capacity to do the retrofit or to the insulation in their homes. That there had to be a plan in place before you introduce the tax to assist those people, either through more financial support or better assistance for people who would want to move away and would want to insulate their homes in a much more progressive and a better way. But the, the plans needed to be published before the tax was included. Because, and I think people will generally know this, governments often tax first and then think about it later. We were very clear to say to the government that we wouldn't accept the idea uh, of an introduction of the tax until such time as the plans were in place to to assist people in reducing their consumption Mm. uh, of fossil fuels. But that that won't happen until July, apparently. Well, all of this is really predicated on on, on what happens in the budget because Mm. the government, as you know, uh, that's where taxes get get levied and that's where legislative decisions get taken around um, the introduction of the increases in any tax. There is already a Okay, but that, 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 make, that, that makes this aspiration nothing more than an aspiration, isn't that right? Well, 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 well I suppose 
Michael, this was a, a committee of, mm. of, of, of the Oireachtas. It, it, wasn't a, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a cabinet sitting around the table taking a decision. We were coming together with our ideas and with our views and setting forward a plan which we believe will assist in uh, addressing the climate. Mm. Uh, the climate oh, I understand, but, it, but the, 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 the plan has a significant caveat, which hasn't been met yet. Well, well the, the caveat is very the the, the, the the report is very clear. We set out all the measures. The caveat is you hand it to government and you expect them, you expect the government to implement it as we have drafted it. Okay. Now, they, we have no capacity to force them to do that, but we would we would we would expect based on the amount of work that has gone in, the evidence we have heard from all the experts, and the kind of submissions and hearings which have been held, that it's. It's a, it's a it's a significant body of work, and, and don't forget that, uh, you know, our work was informed by the citizens' assembly, mm-hmm. um, which also heard evidence from various experts. And, and you've been at this for seven months, I think. Yeah, I mean, it is undoubtedly a very comprehensive uh, and well thought through report. Uh, but uh, in terms of how the government acts from here on in over the course of uh, the next fifteen years, should there be more support for dairy farmers than there are for beef farmers or for people who may move away from farming cattle altogether? Well, because of the because of the complex nature of of the agriculture sector, there are very many aspects to it. And what we've identified is, and it's 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 a fact that intensive farming, particularly dairy, has added significantly to the greenhouse gas emissions. But that can't be taken in isolation. If we better manage the use of our land base, we have the capacity to take carbon out of the atmosphere because the growing of grass, the growing of of trees, um, our boglands and our peatlands, if they're properly maintained, can take carbon back out of the atmosphere and act as a carbon sink. So it's not just about, you know, where some people sort of suggest agriculture is our problem. Um, we've got to stop. We've got to stop producing milk. Uh, that's not the answer. It's recognizing that milk's an important part. Milk and dairy and beef are an important part of our world diet at the moment uh, and, and an important part of our economy. But how can we better use our entire land mass uh, to reduce uh, those emissions that undoubtedly come from the cattle in the first instance? How can we use the land mass? to take that carbon back from the atmosphere. And there are, there are innovative measures identified there. We also looked at issues like mm. anaerobic digestion, which is uh, effectively creating a biomethane gas uh, from the slurry from farms, which has two impacts. One, uh, it reduces our reliance on the importation of, of a fossil fuel. So we have this uh, renewable bioenergy. Uh, and there's the offshoot from that then, which is the development of a, most, a much less harmful uh, fertilizer that can be used on the lands. So there's real benefits mm. there. And you've got to look at it in, as, as, as often referred to this circular economy approach. Uh, and I'm happy uh, that the approach that's been taken by Chagas, uh, which is, as you know, uh, the, the state uh, advisory committee on agriculture with, with, with scientific input to assist um, initially in, in developing uh, output from farming. But it has a very significant capacity to assist farming in, in facing up to the, the issues about uh, playing you know, the agricultural role uh, in reducing carbon emissions. Very good. All right, I have to leave there because we've run over time, but thank you indeed for your time and for joining us as always. Hafina Falls, a spokesperson on the environment, Timmy Dooley, TD. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie, at five past eleven. On March 29th. Mm. But it's, it's five past ten, isn't it? Well, it is 
today, but next week it'll be five past eleven. Oh, lovely! I love that. Mm. Well, that's, uh, of course, because uh, the clocks go forward uh, on Saturday night. Uh, it's something right. that we've been doing for a long time. It goes back to the First World War. It was first introduced in 1916. Uh, and it came in a pamphlet, or as a result of a pamphlet, called The Waste of Daylight, which was published in 1907. And the idea was to make as much of the daylight hours that are available to us when they are available to us. And yes. now we have a big decision to make, because in April we'll be deciding whether we continue with uh, the summertime or the wintertime clocks uh, because we can have one or the other but we can't have both but what we do know is uh, that on Saturday night we'll be going to bed and when we get up uh, we'll have lost an hour the clocks go forward and that's we'll right. all be knackered but we'll have nice uh, bright evenings nice bright we? evenings yeah uh, and that's, that, that's oh, do our mornings go dark again Michael well they will for about a week or so <laughs> right. yeah yeah as I remember from last year yeah anyway, I think they yeah, did yeah, didn't yeah, they yeah, for yeah, a little yeah, while yeah. just just for a week or two uh, but before you know it uh, because it's summertime and there is more daylight uh, it'll be bright again in the mornings and so on Uh, but uh, that will be the decision do we want the long bright summer evenings or do we want slightly brighter winter mornings Uh, and that's something that we have to decide in a year from now for us that's up Mm. very early in the mornings Mm -hmm. I know when I, I, I know towards the end of mm-hmm. February and you were probably the same and we saw that little bit of light coming into our mornings it was just starting to get a little bit lighter it made such a difference mm. when you're getting up maybe at 6 o'clock in for 7 so mm. I, I like the little bit of brightness in the mornings mm. I have to say yeah, yeah. It makes no difference really though compared to sitting out on a summer's night that's true that's yeah. the other side of it decisions but still, decisions but still mm. no I, I am leaning I'm a morning girl okay I like the mornings, but anyway. <laughs> Something for us all to think about over it's the course Mar- of the next 12 months, it, I think. It is yeah. March 29th, and I was thinking, and yeah. you'll probably think, you'll laugh yeah. at me for this, Michael, but I was actually thinking, sitting out there thinking, I wonder what we would have been saying and doing if mm. it had have been D-Day that yeah. they did leave mm. the UK, you know, had left the EU. Yeah. Would it be all doom and gloom, or would we be just getting on with things, or what would the general mood be? Because we were gearing towards this date for so long, weren't we? Uh, some people were, yeah. We, well, it was mm. the date that we were oh, talking know, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but anyway. Lots oh, I know, of I do. I understand exactly. But I, I, I don't think I ever thought that they would leave on the 29th. I'm not sure that they ever will leave. Yeah, probably. You're probably mm. right. Mm. I hate to say that you're probably right. Mm. <laughs> I don't like to admit that. Okay. But um, Grania from Drada was in touch regarding Brexit, listening in to the interview at the top of the programme. And she says that she has been trying her best to keep up with what's happening, but that she's finding everything quite confusing at this stage. And she's saying she thought it would be just a straightforward vote, yes or no. So and wants to know, Michael, when do you think we will know if they'll be staying or going? All right, let's uh, try and clarify that with one of uh, these big, important British ministers now, because today is the 29th of March. The United Kingdom is leaving today. No, it isn't. When will it leave? Well, that's a good question because they'll be voting on it today, the 29th of March, the day that the United Kingdom leaves the European Union. No, we were meant to leave today uh, and we should have been uh, leaving at 11 o'clock tonight. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And a lot of voters will be wondering why that is. They all had a leaflet from the government during the referendum that said, this is your decision and the government will implement it. And they'll be looking at Parliament to say why in a Parliament where 80% of those on both Labour and Conservative sides said they would implement it, have we not had it? Now, uh, Laura raised a lot of important points there um, about, about the process. And it is, in fact, really the last chance we have to vote for Brexit as we understood it today. And uh, MPs, and it's not just the Brexiteers, there are a lot of Labour MPs in seats that heavily voted leave. Um, who would like to do their what they believe is their democratic duty. But party politics has got in the way of that. And I think that all MPs will have to carefully reflect today um, who are the masters and who are the servants in our democratic process. And They're actually answerable to the voters, not the party whips on this issue. Right, that's uh, Liam Fox, who's uh, the Secretary of State uh, for International Trade, uh, making it all pretty clear there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very clear. Very yes, clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let, 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 let's confuse people a little bit more if we can, because let's say they vote to leave today, right? Okay. Uh, this deal yeah. that Mrs May has with the European Union. Yes. Well, then they won't leave. No, they, it'll be May, won't it? That no, no, I know, but they, they won't leave in May uh, based on the vote today. Okay. Uh, because the vote today is on the withdrawal agreement and in order for them to leave, there's a, another element to this, the political declaration that they have to vote on. Uh, and the reason that they're allowed to vote today, remember the Speaker of the House, John Berko, said you can't bring the same thing back? Well, they yes. said, well, look, there's the withdrawal agreement and there's the political declaration. We'll split them in two okay. and we'll vote on half of it, which is the withdrawal agreement. And that's why they've been allowed to vote today to leave. But if they vote to leave, they won't leave because they won't be voting on the political declaration, if you know what I mean. We (laughs) will want to introduce, um, through the Withdrawal Agreement and Implementation Bill, uh, the incorporation of the political declaration. But the political declaration itself, if you read the language, uh, allows 
uh, a fairly wide interpretation of what that future relationship would be. And that's a legitimate debate for us to have. But we can't get there until we pass the withdrawal agreement. And if we don't pass the withdrawal agreement, one of two things is likely to happen. Either we get no Brexit or a very long extension, where I think people will feel very betrayed, or we end up on a cliff edge on the 12th of April. I don't see that either of those satisfy either our democratic uh, requirements or satisfy the needs of business. And, I mean, you wouldn't have a job to do, would you? Because (laughs) you wouldn't wouldn't be able to negotiate international trade deals if if we go down this um, customs union route. Well, uh, the people who work in my department mostly are involved in exports and investment. Yeah, but you know what I mean. But, but politically, uh, we would be denied one of the main levers we would have for influence and influencing the global trade of the future. Right, Liam Fox is uh, the United Kingdom's Secretary of State for International Trade. Uh, it's very simple stuff, really, isn't it, Marie? Do you think so, Michael? I <laughs> know. <laughs> ah, tell me, you follow that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm lost because I just like things to be simple, straightforward, black and white. But in this case, there seems to be all these additional votes. Yes. Uh, or votes that are meaningless. But the thing about these votes today is they mean nothing. No, it's that they are historic. We need to get out of the European Union and then discuss the next stage. At the moment, the focus from those who are irreconciled to the referendum result is to still try and stop the UK leaving the European Union. Here is a, is, this is a great historic moment for our country. This is about whether Parliament does what Parliament wants or whether Parliament does what the people want. And, and I fear for the consequences if Parliament chooses to utterly ignore a promise that they made directly to the voters. Liam Fox was speaking to Nick Robinson on the BBC. Seamus from Dundalk phoned in and I might have thought he was being a little bit over the top when he said his fear is that with all the confusion in the UK they'll end up crashing out with no deal. But he might be right, Mm, Michael. He He says Mm. because even though it doesn't appear to be what the MPs want, it's just hard to know with the way these votes are going. Mm. And yes, you're probably not being over the top, Seamus. I have a feeling that we might go to bed on the 11th of April thinking that that's the case and wake up on the morning of the 12th of April and realise that something happened overnight and uh, they went begging for mercy or whatever they did and undid the whole thing. Eileen phoned in and she says that she's sick to her teeth of Brexit. Why do we have to keep talking about it? She says, I'm listening to your programme, Michael, and there are now over 10,000 people homeless in Ireland. That's what the government should be focusing on. What are they doing about it? That's what I want to know, says Eileen. Mm, mm. On that topic, Mairead says that she thinks the country is going backwards. That when you think that there's almost 4,000 children homeless, it doesn't appear to be a priority for our government. There's no point in talking about mm. it. We need to see action. Ah, oh, no, sure, that's just life. That, that, that's normal now today. That's what I was saying to Peter McVerry. Sure, there's no crisis. There's no crisis in homelessness. It's just it's normal. Gone. The plan is working. The it's plan. Not what you said. Well, no, I was wondering <laughs> what the plan was, if the plan is working, if the result is more than 10,000 people are, who are homeless. Eugene phoned in from Dundalk, agrees with you, Michael. Numbers are just becoming numbers. Over 3,000 homeless children. That's the same amount of kids attending secondary school in Dundalk. Absolutely sickening and shouldn't be happening. Mm. Sean from Navin says that he would love to know the information behind this number. Do we know why each person or family has become homeless? What is causing this? Is it the high rents? Is it the lack of social housing? Is it a mix of everything? Until we know 
then can it only be addressed? Yeah, well, I think we do know uh, the answers to a large degree. I'm sure we don't know the answer to every individual who is on that list. Uh, but yes, yes and yes, uh, it is all of those things and a mixture of all of those things. Uh, and uh, the bottom line, which I think everybody agrees, is uh, there are more people than there are houses. And the problem is a lack of housing. It's supply and demand. Anne says the greatest cause of homelessness is marriage breakdown. Every breakdown means we need two houses instead of one. A texter says the media did not even count the real homeless. They counted the people mm. in hostels, hotels. They forgot the people in doorways, cars mm. and canals and parks. Yeah, and that's the point. These are the official figures uh, and yes. they've taken an awful lot of people out of the official figures. Uh, and uh, I think that would be about 12,000. But then if you count those people that were mentioned there, plus the couch surfers and people who were living with their families and all that, uh, I think Peter McVeary is saying it's at least 15,000. Yes, because for a long time weren't mm-hmm. the, there was accusations that the figures were being massaged if you like mm. to keep them under the 10,000. Mm. Uh, another texter says, again, uh, Peter McFerry will not state or even skirt around the primary issue, re-homelessness, working people from abroad, renting urban apartments, leaving Irish people homeless. Mm. Says a texter, Jerry, one of the big problems is too many people from other countries coming here, not working and being housed, where our own people who do work can't even get a mortgage. Yeah, well, I think that is a valid point uh, and it's pushing up the price of housing and uh, the price of renting as well. James says that uh, the Minister of Housing cannot ignore the figures anymore, that he has made many pledges, but yet the number keeps rising. Mm. It's not good enough, says James. Well, he has a plan and the plan is working. I'm conscious of the time, but I'm just mm. going to read mm-hmm. it one from John and Navin on climate change. Who's okay. listening mm. in. And John says that, they're, that these recommendations that they're talking about uh, putting um, heating oil, bag of coal will go up mm. significantly mm. and doesn't agree with this. He says if there is pollution, uh, all you have to do is look at China or Japan where people are walking around with masks because of the pollution. That is not happening in Ireland. He doesn't think that we are the biggest cause of pollution in this country. And he says you saw all the students out walking there recently protesting against climate change, uh, saying the government are doing nothing about it. But would these same students, he wonders, take one or two less showers in the week? <laughs> Do they really mean what they say? Yeah. Well, they, they don't have to take less showers, just spend less time in the shower every time they have a shower. Uh, that is a, an interesting point. Well, you point, get the point uh, you yeah, make. Absolutely, Annie. Yeah, but um, thanks for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Our telephone number, if you'd like to add to what's been said, is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just to briefly go back uh, to what Liam Fox, uh, the Minister for International Trade, said about today, the 29th of March. No, we were meant to leave today, uh, and we should have been uh, leaving at 11 o'clock tonight. And a lot of people didn't want them to leave uh, today. They won't be leaving today, and there are plenty of people who are willing to say how concerned they are about the prospect of the way the United Kingdom leaves uh, the European Union. They'll be protesting about this at Carrick Arnon tomorrow. Declan Fearn, spokesperson with Borders Against uh, Border Communities Against Brexit, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Declan, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. You're expecting a, a lot of people from both sides of uh, the border to come out tomorrow to express their concern. Yes, certainly we are, Michael. Um, I think the fact that it will have such an impact on so many people's lives for, for, 
whatever sector of business or community you're involved in, uh, that uh, we would be de- delighted to see as many people as possible turn out at, a, at our sixth uh, protest points tomorrow, right along the border, all the way from Kerry Corn and right up to Derry. Mm, and uh, they've uh, been colourful events. There's been a, a big turnout and a, a lot of interest in the way uh, that you've expressed your concerns. What, what, what have you got planned for tomorrow? Um, well, nothing is as, as dramatic as some of the other uh, the ones in the past. However, we certainly will have some ideas as to uh, how we go about highlighting our, our concerns. And at the moment, uh, those concerns are as real and as valid as they have been from day one when this referendum was taken in Britain. Uh, people are still very concerned as to that this certainly could still, even even though they vote for the deal tonight, it could still go very badly wrong for us. And as I say, we've been in the eye of the storm, living and walking right along the border, are those who should be most concerned about it. So, uh, as I say, hopefully we do have the tornado we expect. Are, are you relieved uh, to be able to wake up tomorrow uh, and know that Brexit hasn't happened? Uh, because I, I take it that tomorrow's protest was a, a long time in the planning to coincide with today's B-Day date of the 29th? No, I, I, I think the, the, rally, the reality is that even though they voted for the deal tonight, uh, this is to allow for two years of transition and, and for talks. And within that time, we have the backstop uh, to guarantee our concerns there won't be hard border. However, within any time within that two years, these negotiations could go wrong. Uh, as I say, this backstop really is an insurance policy to to system. But we've seen in the past where the British government quite prepared to pull out of some of the uh, negotiated arrangements that they've made and we're quite concerned that that could still happen in the future. So not a whole lot changes really. I mean, it allows them mm. to move to the negotiations, the transition period. If if it does happen and they're, you know, that's still not a given even tonight and the DUP have uh, still... Well, I think the expectation is the opposite, Dec, and I think uh, it's expected to be defeated tonight. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, uh, two years down the line from over two years since we had a forced protest along the border about our concerns, uh, we're still in a very same position. In fact, um, when you look at some of the attitude of some of the very right-wing people in the ERG, or indeed within the Tory party itself, uh, we should be more concerned than we were at that time. Mm. Well, uh, the U-turns there have been interesting. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree, particularly with uh, Boris Johnson and uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. But uh, take it that you're... Uh, relieved to have this bit of breathing space uh, this week rather than crashing out or, or, or leaving with a, a deal. All of the options are, are still on the table over the course of the next two weeks. Yes, uh, I think no, everybody's uh, agreed that we definitely do not want to see a crash out. Uh, however, the, the the scenario that we would like to see is where the North is allowed to remain within, uh, as the backstop allows us to do, uh, to remain within the... Um, single market and the customs union and that in in a sense guarantees that we won't have a, a hardening of the border in any way here so that's the that's ideally what we want to see and mm. it's not just ourselves that are saying that people from the farming community even in the north and the south people from business people from transport all across the board agree that that is the best that we can hope for it's still not perfect we still lose so many uh you know, people like the farming community, you know, the mm. common agriculture policy, the single farm payments will mm. be will be gone. Uh, the common fisheries policy will be out of that. So there's so mm. many issues that we will be uh, concerned about. But the real issue and the and the tough one is is the hardening of the border. Mm. And we 
certainly don't want to see that are, are, are any not, movement in that at all. Are, are you not more optimistic than that? Uh, because uh, I, I'm not sure if there is any real prospect of a backstop under Mrs May's deal that will be uh, agreeable uh, to a majority of uh, the MPs. I think it is really unlikely that the United Kingdom will crash out without uh, a deal given uh, how many MPs have voted against such a, a prospect. But there remains the chance that uh, it'll go to a second referendum, that there'll be a general election which will be fought and lost on Brexit and there is uh, the other two options of staying in for a long-term extension or indefinitely or revoking Article 50 and calling the whole thing off. Yeah, well as we saw the other night there were, there were eight options in, in, the, in Westminster and they actually you know, they, they voted, didn't agree to vote for mm. one of them and, 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 and go for it. So uh, it really is still at this stage all up in the air. Mm. Uh, we've spent two days this week over in the Strasbourg, and I can assure you that the mood over there was, was certainly I found very downbeat, and that uh, if you were to put anybody, pin anybody's shirt to the collar on it and see what their real thinking was, and they were very concerned that there would be a, a crash out, even yet. And we saw Mr. Farage mm. uh, in the chamber the other day, you know, goading people to say, do you really want me here for another four years? And certainly the the, the, the come back from that one in the chamber was to say, no, they didn't want him there for another four years. So uh, I don't know how <laughs> I, much enthusiasm I wonder why. <laughs> in the EU to, to allow them to go for that long extension mm. and to have the prospect of many um, uh, many Tory, right-wing Tories sitting on the benches in, 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 in Europe, uh, you know, blocking almost everything they could. Mm. And the indecisiveness involved in all of this, the lack of leadership, uh, the uh, impossibility of finding a clear direction uh, would leave you to wonder if they are going to come to some sort of consensus when that might be. And we were just wondering here if it's possible that on the 11th of April we'll go to bed believing that the United Kingdom will crash out of the European Union, but that when we wake up on the 12th of April that something may have happened, that they may have revoked Article 50 or pleaded for an extension or something else like that. Yeah, and as I said... The prospect of that, and really all of us dangling on, on, on the end of a lane, hoping that the British Tory Party sort out their problems and, and that their their squabbles over, over leadership and all of that, and we're all dependent on that, and we're all, uh, as I say, all our businesses and farms and communities are really down to the wire as to whether the, the British Tory Party um, can can agree to come to a consensus. Uh, it, it's a an unbelievable thought that we've got to the stage that these people can hold us all to ransom. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you'd like to invite people uh, to come to Carrick Arnon tomorrow? Absolutely. I mean, we have speakers from our, our trade unions uh, at several of our meetings. We have the business community, the farmer community, and some just people working within the communities, people who've never spoken before, who, who are prepared to stand up and say, look, this is a very, very dangerous situation for, for all of us, uh, for our livelihoods, for the threat to peace along the border. And we've all known communities have lived here how, how that was in the past, uh, even though Arlene Foster tells us that there was never a hard border. Uh, we all know that that to be very untrue, and especially here in the area that I am in, in, in South Armagh, um, it, it was a very hard border indeed. None of us none of us for the sake of our kids or our grandkids ever want to go back to that and I think it's important that we come out and show uh, support for people for the party communities uh, and that that never happens again. And to be there before three o'clock I take it? Yes we hope mm. to. Uh, it's, it'll be a very short event, less than an hour 
and uh, you know, we kick off at 3 o'clock so please come along and give us your support OK Declan thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning I'm sure we will be hearing uh, and seeing uh, indeed uh, events in Carrigarnan tomorrow at 3 o'clock as you say Declan Farron spokesperson uh, for Border Communities Against Brexit there Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Friday for our review of the contributions made in Leinster House this week by TDs and Senators from Counties Louth and Meath. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Eroctus. Here's our parliamentary correspondent, Ken Murray. Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Louth Meath Eroctus Report. We begin our roundup this week with a contribution made in the Dole on Wednesday. Fianna Fáil TD for Louth and East Meath, Declan Brannock, inquired what provision has the government made to provide for a loss of revenue due to potential smuggling if the UK leaves the EU without a deal? He questioned on Taoiseach Leo Varadkar on the matter. While recognising that Emergency Response Unit has been deployed both to Dundalk and indeed to Cavan, and indeed the ongoing um, issues of Angarda Shikana uh, responding to uh, obvious policing of the border counties, uh, be it by the threat of dissidents, smuggling or organised crime and indeed road policing. Yet the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris this week has said that zero work has been done around the implementation of a hard border and while I respect that that's the government's agenda and line of government policy, uh, Commissioner Harris went on to say that he envisages increased demand uh, to counter the impact of economic crime leading to further leakage of duties uh, to this exchequer. I want to know, Taoiseach, what are your plans to ensure that the issue of loss of revenue, uh, uh, regardless of deal, no deal, or indeed uh, uh, no hard border, as to how you're going to deal with this issue? Thank you, Deputy. That's really going to depend on what happens in the next few weeks, You know whether we have a deal, and if we don't have a deal, uh, what, um, what shape that takes. Um, but we are increasing uh, the size of the Garda force. Um, it's up over 14,000 now, bringing civilians in to free up Garda. And we are taking on, and have taken on, in fact, more revenue staff and more customs inspectors. So we have the additional staff that we may need in certain circumstances. The growing problem of extortion for illegal drug use in County Louth was raised by Sinn Féin TD Gerry Adams on Wednesday. He asked Justice Minister Charlie Flanagan what the government is doing to address the problem. I want to raise with you the growing problem of extortion with violence and threats by drug gangs in County Louth. And these gangs are demanding that the families of those who they claim owe them money must now pay the alleged debt. I'm also told by party colleagues that this is a serious problem in Dublin and elsewhere. And last week I visited one family in Louth who are quite simply living in terror. Over the space of six months, this family has paid a drug gang a total of €3,700 for debts allegedly owed by their son. The drug gang has targeted this family in a sustained campaign of intimidation and threats and attempted extortion. And they're now demanding another €8,000. However, this family is demonstrating remarkable courage in the face of threats and is standing firm and rejecting the drug gang's demand. Thanks, Ken Corda. I can assure Deputy Adams that the Gardaí will continue to tackle this problem head-on in order to ensure the safety of all of the citizens in County Louth. Small Irish companies that export to the UK should perhaps start looking elsewhere in the EU for business. 
That was the message from Europe Minister and Fine Gael TD for me, the East, Helen McEntee, when she spoke on supports for companies post-Brexit in the Dáil on Wednesday. If we look at the supports that are being provided, particularly for the agri-food sector, of which over 90% of companies in the agri-food sector are small and medium enterprise, most of the grants and most of the support that we have been providing is to try and assist those, whether it's in the €300 million Euro scheme, a second one which has now been launched today by the Minister for Business and Agriculture, whether it's in the additional support for the likes of Board Beer or Enterprise Ireland to help those companies not just look at their own um, structures but to try and restructure and to look beyond uh, the UK as a, a trading partner which for many of them that is their key objective and goal. The Sea Fisheries Amendment Bill was discussed in the Dáil on Thursday. Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick said some of its provisions don't make sense for the Irish fishing sector. Irish fishing vessels cannot fish within the 12 mile of the Isle of Man. And we excluded from the fishing inside a six-mile exclusion zone, zone around the entire British coast. But Minister, you want to allow UK vessels access to Ireland's six-mile fishery zones. This is not acceptable by the Irish fishing industry. Minister, Minister you also stated that an all Irish registered fishing vessels of 18 metres and over will be excluded from fishing inside Ireland's six-mile fishery limited from 2021 onwards. Yet, Minister... You are attempting to fast-track legislation that allows vessels from Northern Ireland to fish inside Ireland's six-mile fishery zone. On Wednesday, the Senate discussed protection measures to counter false self-employment. Labour Senator Jed Nash told the House that more severe penalties should be put in place for rogue employers who evade their responsibilities when it comes to paying tax and PRSI. I want to make this very clear as well. I don't believe that this issue can be addressed in the fundamental way in which it needs to be addressed if we don't disincentivise the practice of bogus self-employment by ensuring that, for example, those who are evading and avoiding their PRSI responsibilities to the state and to the... And to the um, their own employees effectively uh, aren't um, disincentivised to do so uh, and don't, don't receive the full force uh, of the law. And that's why we want to reform this law in terms of PRSI and attitudes of the state to PRSI avoidance and evasion. Fine Gael Senator Ray Butler told the Senate that greater clarity on welfare entitlements is required when issuing a P45 or P60 form. If you ask 90% of people out there what their stamp entitled them entitles them to, I'd say 90% of them wouldn't have a clue. So to educate people about, number one, what type of stamp they're paying, how much is coming out of their wages, number two, what that stamp entitles them to, that if they have to go looking for sick pay or uh, social welfare, that they know exactly where to go and what it entitles them to. Because at times when you get your P60... It's printed in a, in a corner. It's a magnifying glass you'd want to see it. And Mystic Meg wouldn't have a look in for you to find it in the first place. Social Protection Minister and Fine Gael TD for Me the East, Regina Doherty, told the House that reporting rogue and PRSI dodging employers is not as easy as it sounds. Anybody that has found to, risk, to misclassify somebody willingly and knowingly for the purpose of avoiding gets taken to court by us. But the problem we have is, is that... The actual determination of that avoidance of tax in a PRSI context is difficult because most employees or self-employed, bogusly self-employed people are afraid. And so without the cooperation of the person who is being forced into it or actually wants to be in it because it suits them, then we have no case to make. 
A major protest to deal with the housing crisis is planned in Dublin for May 18th next. Questioned about the rate of homelessness in the country, Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Meath West, Damien English, told the Dáil on Thursday that the housing plan is working. The main aim of those protests, if I, if I listen to what their demands are, are that we get to a stage of, of delivering 10,000 social houses a year. That's, we're at that this year because this government started a plan over two and a half years ago. So we're already getting to the figures that have been demanded. So in my view, that protest, its main demand is, is being met. The issue is, the issue is, is to continue the delivery uh, to be able to make sure people who are homeless can get, a, can get a house. Again, there's reference to the number of people who are number of families and thousands who are homeless. Just to be clear, the money that the budget this house passed for housing uh, just a few months ago makes sure that over 5,000 adults plus all their children who are homeless today, who are part of those figures today, will be leaving that situation and into a house in the months ahead this year as well. The Dáil was told on Wednesday that a cohort of small businesses are in trouble due to insurance costs and other factors. Aintu TD for Meath West, Pather Tobin, called on the government to address the crisis, otherwise many businesses will close. Business rates are still ignoring whether or not a business is uh, profitable or not. And businesses are really stuffed with regards to the infrastructure around the country, and the infrastructure is missing in areas where small to medium-sized enterprises are actually more important to the economy. So, for example, the Midlands, the, the border region, uh, and the western part uh, of the country. Um, retail is migrating to the internet at a fierce rate. The Irish are the biggest internet uh, uh, shoppers at the moment. In total, Irish consumers spent over 6.5 billion in 2017, and that's set to rise to 10 billion in 2020. The level of spend in the community health organisation Area 8 region for home care, which takes in counties Louth and Meath, is the lowest in the country. Finnegale TD Fergus O'Dowd told the Dáil on Tuesday that elderly people in the region are effectively being discriminated against. The area in which I live, that is CHO8, Loudmead, and the Midlands, the expenditure on home care expenditure and percentage, in this case, of population aged over 75, is 30% less than is expected. So there is a significant underspend in Loudmead and in the Midlands in relation to home care expenditure. And these are figures which are produced by the Department of Public Expenditure and they relate to the year 2016. And that contribution by Fine Gael TD Fergus O'Dowd concludes our Loud Me the Rock the Summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the Houses of the Oireachtas Weekly Report. Thanks, Ken. And Ken Murray will have another Loudmead Ructus report for us in around the same time on next Friday's programme. The reports are brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Michael Reed on LMFM. NASRA, the National Ambulance Service Representative Association, uh, which represents around 500 ambulance personnel, is an affiliate of uh, the PNA, the Psychiatric Nurses Association. It's announced uh, another two days of strike action on Tuesday coming and on Wednesday of the following week. Tony Gregg, PNA Ambulance Branch Secretary, joins us now. Good morning, Tony. Uh, Perhaps you'd remind our listeners what this is about. The uh, dispute, essentially, um, is about our right to choose our own union, not a, cho- not a union that's chosen um, for us by the employer. Uh, we've, we've chosen to join the PNA. Um, we organised ourselves 10 years ago. Uh, we were having our union subscriptions deducted at source. And uh, autumn of last year, when the HSC discovered that we were becoming a popular union, 
that people liked what we were doing. They liked the representation we were putting forward on their behalf. Um, the HSC decided uh, that they would uh, cease to deduct the uh, subscriptions uh, for our members of Thurse. So that started the argument off in the first instance. And uh, they went on then to say that, the, the, that they would accept no further applications to be deducted uh, at payroll, union subscri- subscriptions at payroll. And it, 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 it has escalated from there to uh, the point where we have had no alternative except but to um, get involved in a dispute with the HSE. And that dispute uh, has seen it. four strike days already, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It has. We, we're, we're, we've, we've got through four straight days at the moment. We've had, uh, we also protested outside uh, the Dáil um, yeah. just a couple of days ago. Yep. And we've another uh, date set, as you, you, you pointed out to, for the 2nd and then following on then to, to the 10th of April. And, um, and obviously it's, it's of concern to people to think that uh, 500 members of NASRA are, will be on strike. Uh, but uh, there hasn't been much disruption uh, in terms of uh, the previous four strikes. Uh, so will there be much disruption on Tuesday? We, our our uh, commitment is to ensure that while we are involved in the strike that the emergency frontline service is, is uninterrupted. And I think we've been successful on the first four days of strike not to interrupt that service, which is a credit to the members who are actually on the picket line. Okay, but it it um, continues to be a a concern, obviously, uh, because it is such a a, a vital service. You mentioned you were in the Dáil the other day, uh, and that was on Wednesday, I think, when you announced the further two days of strike. It's an issue that was also raised in the Dáil by Solidarity TD Mick Barry, and he was asking the Taoiseach if he could intervene in this dispute before Tuesday's strike action, and we'll just take a minute to listen to what the Taoiseach had to say in response to Mick Barry in the Dáil on Wednesday. What you refer to is, of course, an industrial relations dispute. It's principally an inter-union dispute. Uh, there are a number of unions uh, who represent the majority of uh, ambulance staff, uh, paramedics and others who are already recognised. Um, certainly SIP2 is the main one. Uh, I think FORCE is the other. There may be a third. And this is an inter-union dispute. And we know uh, from so many other workplaces Uh, that it's much better uh, to have staff represented by one union or maybe two rather than having six, seven or eight competing unions um, competing with each other uh, as much as trying to negotiate uh, better terms and conditions for their staff. And we've seen that in so many other fields where disputes would have been resolved much quicker to the benefit of everyone uh, had there been only one union or two rather than six or seven uh, competing with each other, taking members off each other, uh, rather than engaging in the work that they should be doing, which is advancing the interests uh, of their members. So this is an industrial relations dispute. It will be resolved in the normal way. And as is always the case with industrial relations disputes, there won't be interference uh, from ministers. Tony Gregg, the Taoiseach seems to be saying that this is a waste of time, that there is no need for it, and uh, that your members would be better off uh, served, uh, or that they would be served uh, uh, and better off if uh, they were to join Sibtu or Forza? Well, the, the minister is entitled to his opinion, but, uh, you know, he, I, I don't think the minister was briefed, the Taoiseach, Taoiseach was briefed mm-hmm. too well on, on the issue. First of all, there's not seven or eight unions in the ambulance service. There are uh, two unions in the ambulance service. One is Sibtu and one is Unite. The other union, uh, Forza, uh, have, if they have five to ten members in the ambulance service, they've recently corresponded to uh, individuals who wanted to join Forza that uh, they no longer represented uh, 
uh, ambulance service staff. So there's not eight or nine unions um, in the ambulance service. And in, in relation to uh, it being a complicated and complex issue, if there are four other unions in the workforce, the uh, nurses' uh, dispute has been uh, ongoing for quite some time and still remains unresolved. And there are only two unions involved in that, INMO and the PNA. So with regard to the assertion that unions complicate the industrial relations process, he's wrong. Mm. Uh, but nurse, nurses are represented by SIP2 as well, of course, who weren't they, party they, to yes, the, of party I mean, to the you, dispute. Yeah, yeah if, you, if, if you go to a building site, the, the, the employer has to deal with the plumbers union, the you know the, the bricklayers union, um, the you know the, the drivers mm. union. There's, there's several unions uh, that managers in uh, different areas have to deal with, and the building always gets built. There's no issue. Um, there's no issue why uh, the, the, the our, our members um, are being stonewalled essentially by the Taoiseach. I don't think the Taoiseach has an understanding in relation to the complex uh, industrial relations process he asserts to in in that is involved in the. Well, but, but whether whether, whether he does or not, he says he's not interfering and it has nothing to well, do he, with him. It's an industrial dispute, and in terms of an industrial dispute, uh, Nasra is being stonewalled by the HSE and the department. Or, or, is it not? Well, it, 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 I, t- I think the, the, the ministers of uh, the, the minister Harris's um, opinion. Is is contradicted uh, contradicted the the Taoiseach's opinion because Minister Harris has said that he has uh, instructed his his department to engage with the HSE and that the the minister Minister Harris prefers to find a resolution to uh, the issue rather than take the stonewall approach that the Taoiseach has taken. I think the the minister has probably a more comprehensive understanding of the issue, seeing as it's his uh, remit. And we welcome the the uh, comments of Minister Harris, who I think is a reasonable individual, when he, he prefers to have discussion and negotiation and resolution rather than strikes. And he's he's leaned towards that opinion on several comments uh, that he has made uh, to questions that have been put to, to him in the doll. Mm. And we're still open to negotiation. Um, and, you know... We, we've been accused, uh, I think, during this dispute as, as a group of people who intend to dismantle the industrial relations process. It's actually our intention to enhance the industrial relations okay. process. And it's our intention to represent our members. And the Taoiseach, the Taoiseach uh, is, is, is ignoring the fact that there are uh, workers in the ambulance service who, for uh, very valid reasons, have preferred to join uh, the Nazra branch of, of PNA. 500 workers can't be wrong. Mm. The Taoiseach doesn't work as a paramedic. We work as paramedics. We know what's best for us, and it works. Um, what we are, are doing is contradictory to what the Taoiseach thinks. What we are doing is that we're representing members well. We're putting their cases forward well, uh, and people... Uh, uh, paramedics, okay. people who work in ICOs, ENTs, advanced mm-hmm. paramedics, and paramedics believe in what we're doing, and that's why they're joining. And so, as things stand, uh, we're looking at a, a, another day of strike on Tuesday, unless there is uh, the type of intervention that you're talking about. Tony, you have to leave it there for the moment, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Tony Gregg, PNA Ambulance Branch Secretary. Now, uh, before we go today, uh, let's uh, reflect on the day that is uh, the 29th of March 2019. It's Brexit Day, Marie, as you know. Yes. Uh, and we've, over the course of uh, the 
the last weeks, months probably, taken a, a look at some of uh, the British newspaper headlines, uh, some dramatic front pages today. Uh, let me read one of them for you. 11pm tonight was meant to be the moment Britain came a proud sovereign nation once more. Instead, Parliament in paralysis uh, to every MP. The Mail, this is the Daily Mail, says this. Put your country first. Uphold democracy. Back the Brexit deal today. You've got one last chance. You worked in newspapers for a long time. That's a very unusual kind of headline, isn't it? It is. Isn't it? It is. Very text heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing. Well, it is, but it uh, it is uh, an editorial that's uh, making for the front page. It's uh, pretty similar on the Daily Express. Today at 11pm, Britain was to be freed from the shackles of the EU, but after 1,009 days of deliberation, MPs have failed to honour the referendum result. Our belief is uh, in the democratic process and it has been rocked to its core, but Brexit must still be delivered. Darkest hour for democracy. Go away. What paper was that again? That was the Daily Express. Freed from the shackles Mm. of the EU. The Daily Telegraph, the Day of Reckoning. A little simpler than the others. The Times deadlocked Britain faces further year before Brexit. Uh, The Sun. uh, Focus on Northern Ireland in the Sun. These are the British papers, by the way. Uh, DUP chief urged to save Brexit deal. PM gambles on final Commons vote. And come on, Arlene, exclamation mark. Oh, uh, that's come nothing, on, to, Arlene. nothing to do with Dexy, <laughs> Dexy's Midnight Runners. Uh, that's Arlene Foster, uh, the leader of for the DUP, obviously. Um, uh, May tries to buy time as ministers say, go now. That's the front page of The Guardian. Uh, Johnson primed and ready for number 10. This is I, and it talks about uh, the former Foreign Secretary holding meetings with MPs uh, about his leadership campaign. Uh, and uh, that he is planning to run and others are sounding out uh, other MPs on, on their own bids. Uh, the Star uh, then uh, says it's Breg's break exit day. I'm not sure how you'd pronounce that, but something like that. Uh, for 1,009 days, uh, the people of Britain have bored on about you know what. Yes, we do indeed. <laughs> so have we, Michael. We yeah. could be accused of that too. <laughs> but today that all changes and we urge every single one of you do your duty and shut it. Okay. Exclamation mark. Okay. Okay. This is the meaningless vote today, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the words for it, yeah. Okay, uh, well, final word to yeah. Peter today, who says that he, don't, he doesn't think the UK will ever be able to redeem itself with its fellow countrymen worldwide mm. after today. I think you might be re- right, Peter. Thanks uh, for that. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. I uh, hope you've all uh, a lovely weekend. Remember to put your clocks forward Saturday night. Uh, do something nice for your mammy and have a, a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.